Welcome to It's Happening, a college career podcast hosted by the Career Services Center at Marquette University. I'm Gracie Van Spankeren, and I'm a career counselor. And I'm Maria Mostek, our associate director. Here's the show. Welcome to the show, everybody. Our guest today is Dr. Leslie Knox. Leslie, would you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. So I am a professor in the history department here at Marquette, where I'm also the chair of the history department, and I'm director of the interdisciplinary program in medieval studies. So not just a history professor, (laughs) not just the chair, not just all the important things, but also the medieval studies aspect of it. Tell us, how do you fall into something like that? So medieval studies as a field, I mean, this is maybe the point where I admit that I'm not actually a historian. Um, I have a PhD in medieval studies from the Medieval Institute at the University of Notre Dame. It also means that my master's degree is technically an MMS, a Master of Medieval Studies. Wow, I didn't even know that existed. Like I literally have never in my life (laughs) known that it was different. I I suspect it doesn't really exist. And of course, I I am a historian. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, I will say I got a PhD in history from the Medieval (laughs) Institute. But one of the reasons for really embracing medieval studies is because it emphasizes the interdisciplinary nature of the program. And so, you know, when I tell students, you know, I'm not really a historian, um, I mean that, you know, we'll be teaching the medieval period very broadly, learning about its art, its literature, its culture, the philosophy, the theology, the music, the archaeology, all of those things that kind of come together. So that's kind of a useful way of emphasizing medieval studies as opposed to saying, well, just history or I'm a professor of English, as my colleague Lisa Strakoff might say, or um, Dr. Richard Taylor in philosophy, you know, he might say he's a professor of Arabic philosophy, but we're all also medievalists. Mm. So we sometimes like to flaunt that um, <laughs> because I suspect um, you probably have not had very many medievalists on this podcast. <laughs> you would be the, actually the very first. And I would guess maybe the only, <laughs> although yes. just to say, I don't want to limit, limit ourselves in the future. <laughs> right. And also probably not a lot of students come to career services saying, well, I want to become a medievalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I will get asked fairly frequently, you know, how on earth did you get into this field? Or for students who want to pursue a minor in medieval studies or think they want to go on for a PhD, you know, sort of how do you become this? I mean, kids, that's not a sort of normal um, (laughs) thing that they will answer, usual, typical. Maybe it is a normal thing, I will say. (laughs) Um, For me personally, so like many kids, um, when I was young, I loved stories. I loved reading. And I especially loved Greek mythology. Mm. Um, do you remember that Dolaire's book of Greek myths that had all the like craypod drawing? It was all the wonderful pastels and bright colors and these stories. Um, it was one of my favorite things when I was little. So I was at a bookstore one time with my dad. I said, well, let's find out what else there is, you mm. know, around mythology. And um, this was a university bookstore. So we were browsing, you know, in the classic section. Oh, my God. Typical six, seven-year-olds. That's what you're doing. (laughs) Whatever. Um, But we found this book, um, Edith Hamilton's Mythology, which, you know, you could go into Barnes & Noble and you'd find it. It's kind of late 19th, early 20th century. And it said, you know, Miss Hamilton was a classicist who studied at Bryn Mawr. So I thought, oh, okay, well, that's what you do if you want to <laughs> study mythology. 
Um, and I've certainly moved later in terms of my interests, but I think the thread is, you know, certainly some of the stories are sort of fantastic, but these are stories that people told about making sense of who they were. And I think that's some of the reasons, you know, that I study mm. what it is that I study. Um, now, I, I, I certainly, you know, what I tell students, um, that wasn't always a career goal. I mean, I did take languages. I did take classes, you know, in high school and all that. But I also went to college thinking I was going to go to vet school. I oh. thought, you know, I will go major in history because that mm-hmm. was my favorite field. Um, I'll take classes that were interesting to me. But the longer term plan will be vet school. I had horses, dogs, cats. Um, that was what I wanted to do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as a freshman, signed up for the science classes that they told me to, signed up for calculus like they told me to do, signed up for medieval history. Um, and during spring break of my freshman year, I rode around with my horse's vet on his rounds. And I thought, hmm, this is not what I want to do. Um, <laughs> animals are wonderful. Animals will always be a part of my life. But I'm not loving my science classes. I'm mm. loving my other ones. I'm loving history. I'm loving anthropology. You know, this is something that I think I want to do. So that was sort of how I became a medievalist. So I think it's important that you know, I had the opportunity to explore different paths mm-hmm. and it wasn't really a formal internship. That was certainly less common when I was in college, but I got the sort of experiences for me to think about what I want to do this professionally. If only there was a time machine and you could go back and be a vet for the medieval animals, you know, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> especially the weird ones, you know, how they're like the pictures of all the animals oh, look really yeah. funky and that. Yeah. So here's the problem with podcasts is, you know, there's no visual. I could show you my water bottle that has a weird animal from a bestiary on it. Oh, so. nice. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly did exist. Yeah. I mean, so you, you definitely, I mean, I'm like amazed right now just that you were six or seven years old walking through the store with your dad. That's so cool. And that you can draw a connection back like all the way to then of these interests you had. Um, Though to be fair, yeah. I mean, that's something that I had to think about and reflect okay. on, Yeah, you know, and probably doing it more even post-college. You know, if you think about how did I get to where I am now and mm-hmm. realizing that there were points along the way that probably pointed me to them more than I realized at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, partly I study medieval women and I think that's from having, you know, strong female role models, but also looking at the medieval past. As an undergraduate, I studied the history of universities and medieval education huh. and there, there weren't a lot of women there. Mm-hmm. And so partly I came into my research topics cause I went looking for the women um, and that sort of thing. And, and that too, you know, I don't know how conscious it really was at the time. Right. It's always easy to look back and find those points. And we, we highlight them in our brains as these pivotal moments sometimes, which at the time are just everyday life. And we mm-hmm. don't even notice that they're significant. Um, the other thing I, I latched onto was the fact that you did kind of like a, an experience to see, did I actually want to be a vet and riding around with your veterinarian going to see different large animals I'm guessing um on like a farm or something like that sounds like what you described which um I think is something we talk to students a lot about you know getting those any sort of experience connected to what you think you want to do outside of the Mm -hmm. classroom is 
is so helpful, you know, and it doesn't have to be just an internship or this big, long commitment. It could be a one day thing where you shadow somebody or you go have a conversation with a professional in the field or you see where they work. Um, because the sooner you can figure it out, the, the less, a little less painful it can be, I'd say. <laughs> Absolutely. And thinking about, you know, what makes you happy. And, you know, you might say like, oh, I'm not really enjoying my class on the Crusades, but I really do love going to the university library and looking for more, you know, information. I like finding different books. It's just a different period that I like. Or I really like, you know, looking at art in the museum and the Mm -hmm. discussions that we have. I mean, when I was an undergrad and then, you know, going into grad school, I mean, those were the opportunities that afterward I realized I took advantage of and helped me figure that out. Um, As a sophomore, a professor said, you know, I meet with my grad students Wednesdays at four. If anybody is interested and wants to come talk more about stuff, show up. And I'm like, okay. Um, So, you know, it was me and these people who were a lot older than me and often knew a lot more than me, but that was sort of introducing me to what it meant to be a a grad student. What type of research were they doing? How were they working with texts or other things? Um, I was able to go to academic conferences and go Mm -hmm. to talks. And it's great. You know, if you go and you realize that's not my thing. I mean, I went to a talk in our rare book room on grammar education in 13th century Florence. Oh, boy. That's specific. It was amazing. I mean, the details (laughs) that they were talking about, the magic. I was so excited. And after he got his presentation, yeah, you're laughing at me. We should. I turned to the guy next to me and said, wow. And he goes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Falling asleep listening Mm -hmm. to this talk. (laughs) And so it was really like, okay, there is something here for me. I mean, if you become a medievalist like me, it means that you have to become expert in a lot of different languages. I mean, Latin mm. is a no-brainer. Um, one of my colleagues said, you know, I have an advisee who might want to do this. How much Latin should he take? And I said, well, you know, all of it. I mean, it, you're taking this every year doing all these classes. And it's not just Latin. It's maybe Greek. It's maybe Arabic. Um, it's the vernaculars that, it, you know, mm. in the Middle Ages. It's the modern languages because so much of the scholarship Um, are in other languages as well. We work with handwritten documents, with manuscripts in our archives. They usually haven't been digitized. So you're also learning to read ancient hands. Um, That's somebody like literally wrote down because like you said, they're not digitized. So it's not like you can print it out and highlight it. It's like you're literally on the thing that somebody wrote in whatever year. That's pretty wild to think about. And if you think of some literary text, I mean, a Beowulf, you know, that was a Mm -hmm. unique manuscript. We can find tons of translations of it, editions. You can look at the digitized, but that's the exception. I mean, historians like me, what we're doing is, you know, we get a box of documents and a stack through. And the first thing you have to figure out is what the heck is this? Then it's, well, what is this saying? (laughs) Then Mm -hmm. why does this even matter? Mm -hmm. And for some people that's kind of exciting. And for some people that's maybe not their thing. Um, But it does take a lot of really specialized training and it takes a lot of exposure. You know, we sort of started off talking about the interdisciplinary nature, Mm -hmm. you know, so I took classes in folklore, I took classes in archaeology, I took classes in art history. I mean, with my history major, so I actually tripled 
Um, I was able to do art history and medieval studies as well. And it was partly just because I took stuff that was interesting to me. And then I figured out like, huh, I take two more classes. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly there's a, yeah, there's a major, there's a minor. (laughs) Right, right. Right. And so, you know, to, to students who might be listening, you know, explore. There's a whole bunch of opportunities within the field to study something you really love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to sound probably really lame, but uh, <laughs> you know, the, the Netflix show, what is it, Marie Kondo or her whole thing about yep. what sparks joy. The life-changing magic of tidying up. Yeah, the spark Thank and you. joy concept. Yes. Yeah. Well, not it's a good show. cleaning, but yeah. that's kind of what kept popping to my head as you were talking, Leslie, about, you know, sitting in this, this lecture um, uh, on someone's research and just being like so engaged and like excited that you literally turn to the person next to you to like talk to them about it and um I I think that's kind of what I'm hearing from you is like that students should try to find those types of things um find what they're genuinely passionate about like that you went to the library and wanted to explore more um on your own um but that's also like really hard to do right like Mm -hmm. (laughs) thinking about that doesn't happen for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if you, uh, you know, being a professor, being a faculty here at Marquette, have had any of those kind of conversations with students or what you would suggest to those who are kind of struggling to find that, that joy? Yeah, no, that's a really important question. Um, and one thing that I wish all Marquette students would do more is take advantage of the people who are here who really want to talk with them about finding their their joy. And so I think it would be hard to say like, oh yeah, well you go talk to Harriet here and you know she'll she'll hand you your joy. She's got a whole file drawer and can show it to you. <laughs> if only. If only. Mm. But so you know the importance of talking to different people who can talk about the paths and so career services. Do you know internships? What about this event? What about this networking? And just figuring out what's comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. And so I require students in most of my classes to come talk with me. And most of them aren't going to become medievalists. And that's great. I do not need to produce mini me's. I mean, we should talk about <laughs> why you shouldn't become a medievalist um, or why, even if it is your passion, why you can apply that in all kinds of different ways as well. But talking through these things with people who have had different experiences and who know about different things that they can take advantage of. I mean, mm-hmm. you've already paid your tuition. We're here and we want to talk mm-hmm. with you about the stuff that's exciting. Um, and there's exciting stuff going on all over campus. I mean, one of my students from spring, you know, was involved in some of the um, wastewater projects that are going on in engineering, which oh. is really related to the work we were doing in Black Death. Um, but I mean, it was absolutely <laughs> fascinating. and this, you know, man would never say that, well, wastewater is my passion. Um, But the process of discovery and sort of the public health implications for what he was doing, Mm -hmm. I mean, you could really tell that these were motivations. And so I think, you know, it's really easy when you come to a university, you're thinking about the degree, you're thinking about the certification, and then that that gets you a job. And so it becomes very mechanical. Mm -hmm. And what we're really talking about is sort of a small p philosophical orientation, and small p passion, um, that really helps you find the kind of work you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. One of the threads I think that goes through from your story is just 
like if you have questions do something about it like Mm -hmm. having like kind of if you feel like you're getting stuck then probably it's a time to take some sort of small action whether it's talking to a professor or even just like researching what internships are out there or something Mm -hmm. like like go out and just even take a tiny little action that moves you from wherever your stuckness is into a different place because when you even take little actions and you get more information to respond to and just like bit by bit then you can sort of unstick yourself gradually Mm-hmm. And so it, you know, I think that that's just a, a good piece of advice is like, just start somewhere. There's lots of people around and it doesn't have to be some big life-changing thing of like declaring a new major or transferring colleges or, or whatever. It can be something as small as like, I'm going to sign up for the email list of this one volunteer organization. That seems mm-hmm. kind of cool. Like it could be something right. just so small that you can just do it in five minutes from mm-hmm. your residence hall room. And it, yeah. doing that doesn't mean you've committed to everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I worry so much about, you know, freshmen who feel like, well, but I've already started X major and path, and it's not really what I want to be doing. Well, then don't do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you've got so many options. And I mean, I think especially, you know, in arts and sciences, what we really emphasize is, you know, we're giving you these skills, we're giving you ways to approach questions and you know come up with solutions to them that don't necessarily link to a particular thing I mean if you if your passion Mm -hmm. is accounting fantastic and you take the accounting classes and you know you're doing all those things and getting the work experiences along the way but that may be something different for other people and so many people change paths Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah yeah, no, Gracie, I love what you just said. Like, it's, it can be the smallest thing. And then how Leslie followed it was like, it doesn't even mean you're committing. It's just mm-hmm. creating opportunities for you to, mm-hmm. like, latch onto when they feel right. But if you don't ever reach out to begin with, you don't know what's out there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this is also, I, I feel like this is episode where Maria says a bunch of random stuff. But <laughs> I just, I, I love animals so much. And every year I think about like fostering um even though I have no idea how I would do that or where we would put an animal or whatever Mm -hmm. it would be but I finally saw like there was a thing where you just get on the list to actually even just see what the animals are and you had to do like this training that didn't take long at all and I was like now I'm signed up so like I could actually foster an animal with the Wisconsin Humane Society if I wanted to Mm -hmm. right now I'm not going to but I just, you know, it's those little things where it's like, now I set myself one step closer to this thing that I've been really curious about for a long time. And maybe there'll be a time where it fits into my world right now. Not so much, but. Mm-hmm. But when know. it does, then it's, then it's kind of there waiting for you. That's pretty right. cool. Good for you. So, sorry. I know that's <laughs> well, not why we're here, but it's, <laughs> it's an solid example. I think honestly, yeah, what you yeah. both just said. But that it is like. because it's, you, you also through doing this and doing the training, you're finding others of your people, mm-hmm. you know, so people who are interested in those same things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's certainly something that I've found, you know, throughout my training where who are the communities, who are the people with whom I'm in conversation. And so, you know, going to the academic conference, you know, a bunch of people are also really interested in women's lives, you know, in the pre-modern world or, you know, with students finding these connections, you know, we may be doing this particular historical topic, but we're finding ways that health policy, genomic research, environmental change, you know, are all intersecting, um, And so kind of bringing back, you know, interdisciplinarity and interdisciplinary research, I mean, they can mean something programmatically in the institution, 
but that's broadly what we all, you know, need to be the sort of well-roundedness that is, mm-hmm. you know, baked into a Jesuit institution, um, I think is so important. And when we think about collaborations, you know, you guys are on the career services side of the street. I'm on the academic side of the street. <laughs> and that's crazy. You know, we're doing the same thing in so many ways. Yeah. And if you don't reach out, you, you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, that's part of, I'd say, why Gracie and I love doing this podcast is we get to talk to people like you, Leslie. Right. And, um, then, and then we get ideas about maybe I should become a medievalist <laughs> or whatever. Like every episode, I'm like, great. Okay. New career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. it'll only take like five years of language training for you to yeah. be ready to start. <laughs> right, right there you go mm-hmm. Gracie's I mean, already she's already got one I French. do I, I do speak French but not very well anymore it was it was yeah. back in the day so yeah <laughs> I mean that is important I mean I do think it would be dishonest you know if anybody's listening to the same oh great here she is she's telling me I can be a medievalist I can go become a professor of medieval history mm-hmm. um, there is a job crisis in academia for jobs like mine. Um, yeah. They basically don't exist anymore. I mean, it is really unicorns, but it's long been that way. I mean, when I earned my PhD, um, I think fewer than 50% of PhDs in the United States, all fields, wound up being hired into academic jobs. And it's certainly oh, wow. lower right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody who is interested in pursuing a PhD in the humanities, needs to have their eyes wide open and understand that maybe becoming a professor is not the likely outcome. Mm -hmm. The good thing is, you know, that there's a broad movement for career diversity in the field. And I would also say that, you know, following something that you love, that you want to be studied, that you have this burning curiosity um, to answer, you want to know, you know, what was going on with women and education, you know, in later medieval Italy. that's okay. That's okay mm-hmm. for you to want to pursue it. And people who do pursue it, and if you do a PhD in the humanities, it's generally funded. So you're not getting rich, you're not adding to your 401k. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily something that you should go into debt um, to do. Um, it's still developing skills that are transferable. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of in some ways, the sort of buzzy word. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, people are looking for medieval Latinists but they're looking for people who know how to work with fragmentary bits of information. How do you take, you know, so maybe the estimate you'll sometimes hear is no more than 10%, you know, the written material from the middle ages has survived. Mm. And so we're working with not very much. We're working with things that may have survived by luck that may have survived because of deliberate strategies to suppress other information. Mm-hmm. And so we're discerning, you know, what kind of context is going on here? What led this um, to um, speak to the particular topic that I am trying to study? And then what does it mean that this is done? What's important about it? What is significant for us to know about this particular thing? I mean, that's a really valuable skill, um, analysis, research, um, figuring out how to put things together. Um, I tell students that the most important skill you need as a historian is empathy. You mm. know, we're studying the past, trying to understand who these people were, how they lived their lives, why they lived their lives in the way that they did, mm-hmm. um, that sort of characteristic. And then you bring this all together to present arguments um, in writing, in 
oral communication. I mean, all these kind of organized forms. I mean, historians are kind of anal about details. You know, <laughs> we're really useful for that way. So, you know, it's not surprising that historians become marketing analysts. Um, they become consultants helping businesses come up with strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, they work with healthcare organizations. Um, some of them do work as historians. I mean, Northwestern Mutual down the street from us, they have corporate historians. Um, <laughs> one of our alumni is a historian for Baird. Um, you know, they do, you know, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, to me, it's really practical skills, even if the Latin maybe isn't. Sure. <laughs> even if you're not speaking Latin in the office day today. That's right. So to kind of start wrapping up, if you were... 18 and you were making the same or if you were making this choice again would you would you go down the same path you know sometimes I say oh I did it all over again I do colonial Latin America (laughs) (laughs) and so yes I would because it is still stories about the past and how they resonate today so historians study the past because we love it we're curious we want to know more about a particular period um which now I'm learning can even include the 1960s, the 1970s. There are historians who focus on these things, which just seem way too recent for me. Um, And so we do really study it for its its own benefit, but we're also studying it to understand the impact today. And I would say that it's in many ways, I would tell my 18 year old self that the middle ages is going to be, even more important than you know. Hmm. Um, And partly, you know, people think it's the dark ages, we don't know anything about it. Or they think it's the medieval times dinner theater or whatever show you're watching, that Mm -hmm. sort of romanticized view. But there's kind of this idea out there that, well, you don't really know about it, so we can kind of imagine what it was. And that can be great. I mean, there's all kinds of examples of medievalism. We'll be screening the film, The Green Knight on campus, you know, here this Mm. semester um, and talking about it with students. So that's great. But we also know in medieval studies that our period in medieval Europe can be used in really scary ways and ways Mm. that seem really wrong. And, you um, you know, the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, that guy who was dressed as a Viking shaman, Um, You know, what was up with that? There were Templars, Templar Knights. Um, So like with the Crusades marching, you know, in the streets of Washington, D.C. And that was true at Charlottesville as well. So there are certain people who have a view of the Middle Ages that is white, that is patriarchal, that is Christian. That in some ways, as a scholar of this period, I might say like, "Mm, well, you don't really understand the period. You've got sort of these details wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're, they're seeing the European Middle Ages, you know, this period between the fall of Rome, so-called fall of Rome and the so-called Renaissance as sort of the origins of the West. And this this period that we need to get back to recover that is somehow giving authority for things that they do. And so I think there's really um, a, a necessary thrust to be challenging these ideas of showing that the Middle Ages was much more global than people realized it was much more multicultural. I mean, yes, it was an era where it became predominantly Christian, but it wasn't necessarily our modern Christian. I mean, medieval Christianity is fascinating um, and we should study it for all of its varieties that existed at this point. 
And I think going back to this really complicated period helps us understand some of the complexities of our own. So mm-hmm. I would tell my 18 year old self that, and I don't know that she would think that was very convincing, but, <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, you took a stab at it. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show today, Leslie. It was really great to hear your perspective. And I feel like there was lots of good nuggets for people who are interested in medieval studies or history in particular. And then also for those who are just sort of trying to figure their stuff out. So we really appreciate your perspective and um, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you having me and I hope some students will be inspired and go talk to faculty and people in different offices at Marquette and get involved with something that really gets them excited. all the Career Services Center staff at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thanks for listening.